Hello, I'm Ryan Tate, and welcome to History of the Pacific Northwest, Episode 5, Across the Bering Strait. Today we will be establishing our final world power that took interest in the Pacific Northwest, the Russian Empire. Before that, I would like to take a moment to talk about a few things regarding the production of this show. At the time of writing this, my first episode has been downloaded 89 times, which I can honestly say is significantly more than I expected. I want to thank those of you who have been listening and know that I truly appreciate it. I want to ask a couple of favors of those listening. First, if you could take a moment and rate the podcast, that would be awesome. Ratings help boost the profile of the show and make it easier to find on listening platforms. Secondly, please share the show with people you know. Whether by word of mouth or on social media, it's a good way to spread the podcast out to more people. Thank you so much for doing that, and I promise not to constantly ring the like, share, subscribe bell on every single episode. With that out of the way, let us begin. The Russians are usually not mentioned among the major players who took interest in the North American continent. Typically, when one thinks of colonialism in North America, they think of the British, French, and Spanish. When Russia consolidated its holdings across Siberia, subduing the natives of the region, their territory was in close proximity to what is now Alaska. Overseas colonies in Alaska may have seemed like a no-brainer for the Russian Empire. Some of you may look at a map and see that Russia is extremely close to Alaska. At its thinnest point, the Bering Strait, the ocean divide between Russia and Alaska, is only a little over 50 miles wide. Some may wonder why Russia didn't make it to Alaska long before the 1700s. Well, the answer is threefold. One, Russia's concentration of population was in the west. The capital was at St. Petersburg until the 1900s when it would be moved to Moscow. Two, the incursion of Russian people into the Siberian territory was long and slow. Russia would expand east beginning in 1580 and wouldn't fully pacify Siberia until 1778. Siberia remained a backwater for the Russian state until colonial Alaska brought more administration and attention to that region. 3. Ice and Long Winters Sea ice was a problem in the North Pacific, and the Russian outposts in Okhotsk and the Kamchatka Peninsula were home to long and harsh winters, not the kind of places where it was easy to launch expeditions of exploration from. Peter the Great became Tsar of Russia in 1682, and the first emperor of Russia in 1721. Peter oversaw a Russia that was on the move and rising. To keep up with other powerful European countries, Peter wanted to expand Russia's navy. Sea power and naval dominance was of the utmost importance at this time in history. Peter also took great interest in the Strait of Anayan. I mentioned this fabled strait on our episode about the Spanish and Francis Drake, but I messed up a couple of things that I would like to fix now. The Strait of Anayan was not exactly another name for the Northwest Passage. Many believed that there must be a strait that separated Asia from North America, which was dubbed the Strait of Anayan. It was also believed that the Strait of Anayan might lead to the Northwest Passage. Now that that is rectified, on with the show. Some sources play out Peter the Great as an insatiably curious monarch who wanted to discover and chart Russian waters. Others paint him to be a land-hungry expansionist and opportunist. Both of these probably have some truth to them. Regardless of his motivations, 
On December 23rd, 1724, the Tsar sent orders to the Admiralty College to outfit an expedition to see if Siberia was connected to the Americas. Of the possible names given, Peter chose a man by the name of Vitus Bering to lead the expedition. Bering was told to proceed in an overland expedition from St. Petersburg to Okhotsk, build one or two ships, sail around the Kamchatka Peninsula, then sail north, charting what he could see. Vitus Bering was born in Denmark, August 5, 1681. He was in fact Danish and not Russian. Bering was consistently regarded as reliable and competent. Not exactly a daring man, he almost never took risks and preferred a careful, calculated approach to almost everything he did. One could say he was overly cautious, an attribute that would often save his life, but render him a practical yet unexciting figure in history. Bering became a cabin boy at the age of 15, which is like an assistant to the captain, running errands and so forth. Thus began a life at sea for the young Bering. He sailed on Dutch East India Company ships traveling to the Indian Ocean, as well as the Caribbean and the eastern seaboard of North America. Bering was recruited to join the Russian Navy and quickly rose through the ranks. Bering ran several important missions for Russia during the Great Northern War as a second captain, but from what we can tell, he never participated in combat. At 42, Bering retired from the Navy to spend more time with his wife and four children. As a recognition of his service, he was promoted to first captain upon his retirement. Bering collected a pension for a time, but it seems the need arose for him to find work once more. He reapplied for the Admiralty College and was quickly accepted. Fortunately for Bering, he kept the rank of first captain granted to him upon his retirement, and in October of 1724 was back on the sea, captain of a 90-gun ship. The Bering expedition set out by land first. They brought with them horses, supplies, carpenters, and the personnel who would man the ships. The Admiralty College had no presence east of the Ural Mountains, and so anyone who knew how to sail and build ships had to travel east across Siberia first. They also had to carry with them all essential materials for a ship except the lumber. They had iron fittings, sails, ropes, tools, sealers, maps, charts, logbooks, the works. It was a hefty baggage train. They were headed to the easternmost parts of Russian territory when the party finally reached their destination of Okhotsk, which at the time was a small Russian outpost in the Sea of Okhotsk, west of the Kamchatka Peninsula. Bering had his group build lodgings and begin preparations for the expedition. This included cutting timber for the ships they had to build, fishing, slaughtering cattle, preserving meat, and other logistical activities. Preparations for the expedition took much longer than expected, and Bering was forced to delay his start time. However, on July 14, 1728, two ships were complete. Fortuna and Sviatoy Gavriel. The pair were launched and the expedition was underway. Bering took his two vessels around the Kamchatka Peninsula and then proceeded north along the coast. The voyage was treacherous. Rocky coasts and uncharted waters made for a great deal of uncertainty. Water depths were unknown and if a ship drifted into shallow waters, the rocks could tear it apart. Bering managed to sail north to above 65 degrees north latitude and still had not witnessed any sign that Asia was connected to North America. 
Vitus Bering had a decision to make. His second-in-command, Alexei Chirikov, believed that the expedition should proceed north and continue exploring these uncharted waters. Some of Bering's other lieutenants disagreed and thought their mission was complete. Bering held that he had discovered a strait and it was time to bring news back to the Tsar. Chirikov felt that they had not gathered sufficient proof. Possibly to prove a point, on June of 1729, Bering took the expedition east 130 miles by his own calculation, which we cannot be certain of, and then returned back to Siberia. Without the baggage train they had brought to Siberia, the expeditionary force moved much more quickly and returned to St. Petersburg on March 1st of 1730. Vitus Bering's expedition was fairly uneventful, and despite being successful, was not met with elaborate celebration. Peter the Great had died before Vitus Bering left and was succeeded by Catherine I. Bering was awarded for his service with a thousand rubles and a promotion to captain commander. He was not done though. Bering reasoned that America could not be far from Russia and he wanted to outfit a second expedition to cross the Bering Strait and make landfall. It would be a while before Bering would get what he needed for this second expedition, though. Not many were all that interested in sending expeditions to North America. Siberia was still a Russian backwater that needed to be developed. Bering's first expedition was helpful in developing Russia's Far East as it drew a lot of attention to that region, though. After some time, a second expedition with the intent of crossing the Bering Strait was organized. Vitus Bering was once again put in command. At the end of May in 1741, Bering was examining the two ships that would soon be put to sea, the St. Peter and St. Pavel. Bering would take the St. Peter, and our old friend Alexei Chirikov would be second in command and captain the St. Pavel. Bering was now 60 years old, and would turn 61 on this expedition. The second expedition set off and aimed for 45 degrees north latitude. Along their way, the ships were separated due to a harsh storm that took place. Neither vessel would see the other ever again. Bering and the St. Peter spotted land July 16, 1741. They anchored at what is now called Kayak Island in the north of the Gulf of Alaska. Bering never personally set foot on land, though. He spent very little time at the place he had found. It wasn't long before the St. Peter was turned around, headed home. This is but another example of Bering's overly cautious nature. Most explorers are known for their daring and decisions to push past what was asked of them. Bering was not like this. In his mind, he had found land, and it was time to return home. One of his contemporaries said of him, Ten years of preparation led to ten hours exploration. Meanwhile, further east, Chirikov and the St. Pavel made it to Latua Bay. Chirikov sent a rowboat in to retrieve samples and supplies which never returned. Then Chirikov sent a second rowboat to find the first and finish the mission, which also never returned. Chirikov reasoned that natives must have attacked. But it is far more likely that tidal swells, which are common at Latua Bay, sank the rowboats. Either way, Chirikov and the St. Pavel were forced to turn back and return home. The St. Pavel had a tough journey home and several of the crew came down with scurvy and died on the return voyage. 
They still fared much better than Bering and the St. Peter, though. The St. Peter also struggled with scurvy and was blown off course by the wind. Bering was shipwrecked on what he thought was the Kamchatka Peninsula, but it was actually an island a hundred miles away from his destination. On November 6th, 1741, the survivors were marooned on what is now called Bering Island. Due to the cold weather and harsh winds, Bering Island is a desolate place with no trees. 30 would die on the island due to thirst, starvation, and scurvy, including Vitus Bering himself. He was 61 years old upon his death. Miraculously, the survivors of the shipwreck would survive by fishing and seal hunting and were able to salvage their ship to make a crude vessel which returned them to Kamchatka on August 16, 1742. Bering's expeditions were catalysts for both Russian development in its eastern holdings as well as attracting fur hunters to the Aleutian Islands. Many sailors from the Bering expedition joined fur ventures in the North Pacific Ocean. Early fur trappers found grounds to hunt in the islands, and as furs were more and more exhausted, trappers moved closer and closer to Alaska. Eventually, fur ventures began taking place on mainland Alaska. Some wanted the Russian government to charter a monopoly company in order to both solidify the Russian fur trade industry and to incorporate Alaska as an overseas colony. I am drastically oversimplifying these events, but I thought that would be the best course moving forward. One of these people who dreamed of a Russian fur monopoly was Grigory Shelikov. Shelikov sought to establish a settlement on Kodiak Island. The indigenous Konyaga people resisted Russian encroachment into their territory, which resulted in the Awauk massacre. The Russian expeditionary force under Shelikov opened fire on the Konyaga, virtually slaughtering them. It is estimated that three-quarters of the Konyaga people present were either injured or killed. This includes men, women, and even children. We do not know for sure the exact numbers. What we do know is this was a brutal attack. With the Konyaga resistance gone, the Russians established their first colony there on Kodiak Island in 1784. The first settlement led to the establishment of several others on Alaska, and in 1799, the Russian state created the Russian American Company. The company monopolized all fur trading in Russian-controlled territory. Russian presence in North America would allow them to seek expansion into contested territory, including the Pacific Northwest. Russian dominion over Alaska made the Spanish Empire extremely nervous. It would not take long for Spain to reevaluate its attention north of California in hopes of keeping the Russians at bay. Now, all of our key players are in place. Spain in the south with an established presence in Mexico and California. The British, who have solidified their holdings in Canada with the Hudson's Bay Company. Russia in Alaska and the soon-to-be United States, who will claim independence from the British in 1776. Let us not forget the 100-plus Native American tribes in the Pacific Northwest, whose lives would be forever changed by the European empires upon the North American continent. Next time, we will revisit our friends in the Spanish Empire, as they begin exploring north up the Pacific coast. As a reminder, I would greatly appreciate it if you could please rate the podcast on whatever platform you are listening on, and please share the podcast with people you may know. 
especially anyone who loves the Pacific Northwest or history in general. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time.